This is Ben. And this is Zoe. And you're listening to Story Club, the podcast, recorded live at the Giant Dwarf Theatre in Sydney. This week, Tommy Dasselow. When I was a teenager, uh, my life plan was to become a successful actor, worshipped by everyone and adored by everyone around me. Um, my reasons for wanting this were as follows. One, number one, I had a deep passion for telling stories about the human condition. And also I wanted to be rich and famous in order to spite everyone who'd ever bullied me. Um, to this day, all of my career ambitions end with the sentiment of, and then they'll be sorry. <laughs> my acting experience in high school productions was limited to forgettable background roles such as dumb French policeman, <laughs> non-speaking villager, <laughs> Roman in crowd, Circus Freak, <laughs> Kevin Bacon's Uncle, <laughs> Mute Child, Dinner Party Guest, and Girl Number Six. <laughs> Over four years and ten productions, I spoke a grand total of 15 lines. I'd be lying if I said that uh, my ego wasn't damaged by this, but I figured it was all part of the master plan. You know, one day I'd be an actor and I'd be interviewed on Inside the Actor's Studio, where my drama teacher's inability to recognise my obvious star power would make for a hilarious and relatable yarn. <laughs> and then they'd be sorry. <laughs> After I finished school, I fell into the world of stand-up comedy. Now, here was a place where I was in charge of what I did on stage. Um, after my first ever gig, I knew that I had found my calling. It was only a matter of time until word got out that I was the funniest person in this country. My own television show was surely just around the corner. That was 10 years ago, and last week I had to borrow $100 off my mum in order to buy my flight up here from Melbourne. So, it's good. Doing stand-up comedy complete. Someone clapping up the back. Um, my mum. Uh, Doing stand-up comedy completely changes uh, what your relationship to acting is. These days, the only acting I do is when I get called in to audition for an advertisement, uh, which in my case is almost always for a food product of some kind. In the last six months, I have auditioned four times for the role of incompetent husband flailing around in the background while his wife explains to the audience that this new tin spaghetti is so easy to prepare that even a rube like her hubby can pull it off. You know the type. Auditions for advertisements are at best forgettable and boring and at their worst a valid reason to call Lifeline. Um, a couple of years ago I went in for an audition. The lady asked me to talk a little bit about myself. I said, I'm Tommy, I'm a comedian, I host a podcast. Then the lady said, great, thanks Tommy. Now, pretend to be a gorilla. <laughs> so I start lurching around the room, grunting and scratching my underarms. The lady allows this to go on for close to five minutes, which is exactly five minutes too long to pretend that you're a gorilla without feeling like you're having some kind of full nervous breakdown. And finally, the lady says to me, okay, great, now tell me about your weekend. So I correct my posture and I say, well, on Saturday it was my friend's birthday and um, she had this party, so the lady cuts me off by shaking her finger and she goes, uh-uh-uh, gorillas can't talk. So now I'm suddenly lurching around the room again, now pretending to be a gorilla who's at a party, drunk and attempting to make out with one of his friends who rejects him. And as I'm doing this, I remember that this is an audition for an ad for Tourism Victoria. 
this awful gorilla-based improv game serves absolutely no purpose. Like, I don't know how many of you have been to Victoria, but for context, I should point out, there are literally zero gorillas roaming the streets <laughs> attending our parties. It just doesn't happen. Not something that needs to be in the ad. So a few months ago, I got asked to audition for an ad for a car company. Um, the description of the character that I was auditioning for read as follows. Craig, 25 to 30 years old. We pan in on Craig, an unattractive man. <laughs> if attractiveness was to be measured on a scale of one to 10, then this guy is definitely a one. That's verbatim. Brutal. Like, I'm amazed at the end of that sentence that there wasn't just a photo of a casting agent looking at a photo of me while vomiting into a bin. <laughs> so, I go to the casting agent. When I get there, I'm, I'm the first one there. I get there early, so then I have to just sort of sit in the waiting room and watch as the menagerie of warthogs that they'd contacted for this role <laughs> waddle into the room. I'm looking, I'm like, ugh, oh, that's me. Um, <laughs> Like, I really wanted this role, so I deliberately hadn't bathed or shaved or brushed my hair just to, just to really make myself more repulsive and sort of boost my chances. And I still didn't get the ad. <laughs> this is the great thing about auditioning for an ad and not getting it. You know, three months later, I'm watching television with my then-girlfriend. The ad comes on, and I recognise it immediately from the script. And I go, that's him! I jump out of my seat. I'm like, that's the unattractive guy who got the role instead of me. So my girlfriend looks at the guy on screen and in an atrociously misguided attempt at making me feel better, she says, oh baby, you're way uglier than that loser. <laughs> so you may be asking yourself, uh, why would anyone put themselves through this torment? Um, the, reason for the, the reason people you know, keep going back to ads for auditions is that uh, ads pay a lot of money. Uh, if you get a good role in an ad, you can, you can literally earn like a year's income uh, for a week's work, which was a position that I found myself in uh, in 2012. Now, in 2012, I was cast in the dignity-boosting role of dressing up in a foam costume and portraying a giant talking letter C in an ad for a major bank. Um, now, the bank was one of the major sponsors of the Australian Olympic team, and so after we'd filmed the ad in Sydney, they then flew us over to London to film some extra content at the Olympic Games. And this extra content took the form of funny skits that someone from the bank had written... <laughs> ..that were then going to be uploaded onto the bank's YouTube channel. Because as we all know, there's nothing that young consumers respond to better than one of the big four banks attempting to, to appear relevant with funny viral content. Um, <clears throat> so one of these videos involved our characters uh, attempting to get our friend kicked out of an Olympic event by telling a security guard that our friend uh, had a bomb in his backpack. So don't jump ahead. Uh, <laughs> We spend the whole day filming the video. At the end of the day, uh, we don't all want to kill ourselves, which is the ultimate outcome if you're working in advertising. Um, that night, the director uploads the video onto the bank's YouTube channel. Uh, we all go to bed early, eager for our next full day of work. Instead, we wake up to a text message uh, from the production assistant telling us that we now have the morning off. And I'm surprised, but I'm excited that I have some time off in London to just kind of hang out. So I go and I visit my cousin and her boyfriend. Then at midday, I get another text saying that we will not be filming anything today and that we have to meet at the hotel at 2pm for an emergency meeting. An emergency meeting? What could this mean? We all thought to ourselves. <laughs> so in 2005, a series of coordinated suicide bomb attacks were unleashed during rush hour in central London. 
As it turns out, in 2012, people weren't yet ready for a bank to make online skits about bombs going off in London. So the bank's social media pages had been flooded with irate comments from angry customers and ex-customers. The videos were removed from the bank's YouTube channel. The campaign was immediately cancelled and we were all sent home. Uh, it was a very bizarre situation. It all unfolded so quickly that by the time I got off the 25-hour flight home, I still hadn't kind of properly processed what had happened. Um, I hadn't written any of the material in the video that people had hated, but I also hadn't been smart enough to realise that it was a pretty bad idea for a joke. Um, you know, I'd lent my face to something that had upset a lot of people and that, you know, that felt really bad. And, you know, the, the, the money had been great and I'd gotten to go to London to visit my cousin, but all things considered, being in an advertisement felt a little bit yucky. You know, it had taken up a lot of my time uh, and it hadn't really, you know, helped my comedy career, in, you know, in any real way. Then a couple of days after I get back, I'm watching the ABC program, The Gruen Transfer, which if you don't know it, it's hosted by Will Anderson and it takes a light-hearted look at the world of advertising. So 10 minutes into that week's episode, they turn their focus onto our London YouTube skits for the bank. So they throw to some footage and there I am, in my giant foam costume, running down a hill. I check my Twitter feed, people are tweeting me to say they've seen me on the Gruen transfer. Will Anderson tweets me to say, now you can technically say, as seen on the Gruen transfer, on your festival posters. And sure, it's not my own television show, but it feels like a nice end to the whole tale. Until the Gruen Channel's panel of advertising experts begins to dissect the video. So they freeze on a close-up of me, sweating and jiggling away in my giant foam lettuce C costume. A lady on the panel looks at the image of me and with a look of severe discomfort on her face says, it's an interesting decision by the bank to cast these um, obviously out of shape and unathletic men. <laughs> I check Twitter again, there's more notifications. Um, this was the first time I'd ever experienced the hashtag wrecked, which was good first. My then girlfriend notices a smile on my face and she says, don't worry, I don't think you look obviously unathletic. So I lived with all that in my head for nearly three years now when I got asked to write a story for this show on the theme of You're So Vain. I knew that I had the perfect story. Also, I thought back over the story and I remembered all this stuff about everyone who'd wronged me in it, you know, the ad agency, the lady on the Gruen transfer, my now ex-girlfriend, and all I could think to myself was, now they'll be sorry. <laughs> That's it, guys. Thank you. Thank you. For more information about the podcast or the Story Club live show, head to giantwarf.com.au. Thanks for listening.